Hello, listeners. I'm Zach. And I'm Valina. And we're just a couple of horror fans making a horror podcast. Welcome to This House Was Never Meant to Be a Podcast. We're going to cover all of the horror anthology shows that we can get our hands on. And today, we are going to be continuing with Tales from the Dark Side with the episode Painkiller. Starring Farley Granger's Dr. Roebuck, Peggy Cass as Nadine Terman, and Lou Jacoby as Harvey Terman. So tell us, Valina, how does this episode begin? Well, it begins with a shot of this house over which Luigi's Mansion's theme song is playing inexplicably. The Luigi's Mansion 2 gloomy manor theme, to be very specific. <laughs> it, it has the same, like, oboe instruments and all of the same kind of instruments playing that that theme does. And no joke, it sounds exactly like it. <laughs> the next shot is with a woman and a man, the husband and wife, watching television. It shows you the TV screen so you know they're actually watching Night of the Living Dead, which, of course, is being a show produced by George Romero. Of course, they're going to have, you know, his movies playing, except they apparently do not have the right to the actual songs playing in that scene. And it, it's something that's totally different. Like, I don't, I don't even think that music plays like once in the actual movie, but yeah, they just have like something totally, just totally different. It is insanely reminiscent of the Courage the Cowardly Dog TV segments where it's just some random old movie, usually old Godzilla films, and they just play nonsensical music with it. That's exactly how this is with Night of the Living Dead movie playing and then some just melodramatic like war Wolfman song playing in the background or like Castle Dracula old black and white movie soundtrack playing over this relatively modern horror movie. Yeah, like the more <laughs> kind of like energetic, you know, and, and, and kind of silly hammer film music yeah. while you have like you know, the serious Night of the Living Dead playing. It's like not <laughs> not fitting at all. So what is the mister doing while watching TV? Oh, he's not even watching TV, poor sap. He's studying for an exam the next day. And the book, in huge letters, tells you that it's beginning computer programming. Mm -hmm. And the wife, as she's watching the movie, she pulls out, like, a box of chocolates and, she and just, starts eating she's it. She's horking them <laughs> down. Horking them down. <laughs> and... You know, he's like, oh, is that a caramel? I love caramel. And she's like, you're on a diet. It, it you know, it sticks to your teeth. You know, so she just kind of basically doesn't allow him to eat chocolate. So denied chocolate. He gets up to get some coffee. Uh, she offers to hold his place, which, I mean, she could have just set the book down, like, open, but she just literally holds it. And he goes to the kitchen. He pulls out, like, a teaspoon from, like, the drawer and just, like, is frozen. Like, he just got electrocuted. Mm -hmm. It hands back to, or goes back to the wife, who is, like, paying attention to the movie, and then you hear the husband screaming for her. Nadine! Nadine, get in here! What is it? I can't hear you, Harvey! <laughs> I need you over here! <laughs> so, after tearing her eyes away from the television screen, she goes to the kitchen, and she sees Harvey, her husband, is on the floor, just laying on the floor. And she just, like, looks over him and asks, What are you doing on the floor, Harvey? And, of course, he says, My he... back. And she asks, you know, how he hurt his back. And he's like, Oh, I picked up a teaspoon. 
And just so you know, I've hurt my back in all kinds of ways, but picking up an actual spoon has never, ever been one of them. I don't know. I, I've heard that you can really damage your back lifting with your back on anything. I'm assuming instead of lifting with his legs to pick up the teaspoon, he lifted <laughs> with his back. And threw it out that way. You can lift with your, you can lift the teeth with your wrist, and it's not gonna hurt anything. Well, you see, he should have been lifting with his legs, as oh it is gosh. very, very good piece of advice to lift with your legs whenever you're picking up anything, not just heavy objects. Yeah, you lift with a really, really heavy teaspoon. You can hurt your back so badly you fall to the floor in agony. Um, well, you don't actually hear him hit the floor. No, As far he as I'm aware, carefully. he carefully lays down on the floor. Because you don't hear him make a thump or anything. You just hear him shouting from the kitchen and see him comfortably lying on the floor. Uh, com comfortably, you know. <laughs> comfortable <laughs> but, uh, as you can lay on the floor with a hurt back. Yeah, especially at his age. Mm -hmm. Which is old? Yeah, we didn't mention this, but they're both old. I don't know how old it is. They had Nadine. Oh, they're, they're, they're like young 60, probably in that Yeah, range. Nadine mentioned that they were married for 31 years at least. So they're at least more than that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's older than 31 if they've been married for that long. Yeah. So basically, he's just laying there, and she's like, do you want me to call a doctor? And and he's like, no, I'll just lay here. So she brings him a blanket because he doesn't want to leave. He just literally wants to lay on the floor. So she brings him a blanket, and it's really funny because she brings him a blanket, and she's like, oh, I didn't want to put a good blanket on the floor. <laughs> and what's it actually even funnier is we had that same exact But in blue. It, it's green in the episode, but we had the blue version of it. It's yeah. an it's an electric blanket. It's just insulting our blankets. <laughs> Goodness. And uh, I, I want to mention this very hilarious quote that she mentions. She says, like, oh, I mean, you're sleeping on the fl next to the fridge like, the ha like some kind of household animal. <laughs> That's just... Oh, that line got to me. That was a great oh, line. Oh, God. She's very nasty like that. Now, this is the first of what will end up being quite a lot of episodes. Yeah. Where you have this wife who is just an utter nag. Yes. Like, the term that is frequently used in this series is henpecking. Yes. <laughs> it's a very old school kind of a term, but she's like the first of many. And mm -hmm. <laughs> so far that I can like actually think of the least horrible, which yes. isn't saying a whole lot. Like <laughs> she, like if, I'll get into her a bit later, but she's like the least horrible of all these horrible women. And it's yes. quite a horrible trope, to be honest with you. I really, I, I really hate this trope, but it's for some reason oddly common in this series. Yes. But uh, like I said, she is the least horrible one. Uh, and we'll see how very horrible she actually is. This is the calm before the storm. To yes. Be, to be honest. But she does mention something that is kind of interesting. She tells the husband, uh, what's his name again? Harvey. I, Harvey. She tells Harvey that, you know, because he wants to lay on the floor instead of going up to the bedroom to go to sleep, she's like, oh, this is the first time we've been separated in our entire marriage. And she says that in a kind of like smiling kind of like, oh, wow, like I, I didn't realize this is the first time we're going to be separated. Yeah, it's actually kind of sweet. And there's a thing about her, at least in these earlier interactions in this episode, is that she does seem to care about her husband, and he doesn't seem to be very open with any complaints. Yeah, for that's an important part of this episode that is going to be a large hurdle for interpreting the episode, is the performance of Lou, uh, the guy who plays Harvey. Harvey. 
he has this way of saying every single line that doesn't really feel like he's telling you a whole lot of how he feels. So it seems like he's very complacent in everything. Like, it's just, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. I'm just going to lay on the floor. I'm just going to listen to what my wife has to say. I'm just going to do what she tells me and not say anything. You know, that's kind of how he comes across. And it's very noticeable, especially in the later half of this episode. But uh, what happens when he gets tucked in and is kissed goodnight? Well, he just stays on the floor and he just ends up sleeping there for quite a lot of the night until he wakes up to thunderstorming. The way he's laying on the ground, he's like facing the window, which is not, it doesn't have blinds or anything on it. Like there's like a sheer curtain on either side of the window, but he can see outside where all the trees and stuff are. He looks up towards the window and like right as the lightning is striking, he sees that there's a man staring at him. Mm -hmm. And this dude is just like looking out just down at him and Harvey freaks out and he starts screaming for Nadine. Oh, it is important to note that this mystery man is, he taps his nose. And that is an important detail that comes in back into relevance later, which is something you won't really catch on the first time around, but it is something that you notice rewatching it. Hmm. So yeah, it's a small detail, but it's a really nice little, little piece of like foreshadowing kind of. Hmm. So Nadine ends up running back to the kitchen, asking him, hey, what's the matter? And he tells her, look out the windows, someone's out there. So she does, but she says she doesn't see anybody. It's you know. raining cats and dogs! <laughs> yeah, because by then, the figure's gone. Nobody in their right mind would be out here. But I swear, he was out there. So she gets kind of mad at him, and I think that's when she says the line about, you know, it's if you want to sit here on the floor like some kind of a household animal, that's fine, you know, if I'm waiting by you, but I don't need to get to sleep. So she marches over him and then goes back to bed. And the next scene is actually in the morning. He goes to the doctor's office because of his back. I don't know how she got him off the floor, but uh, she did. And complains to the doctor about practically having to carry him into the doctor's office. But the doctor is the same man that uh, Harvey had seen looking at him through the window. Oh, and I thought he looked familiar. Yeah. <laughs> and Harvey literally tells that to his face. You were outside my window last night. You were there. So Nadine, who is embarrassed by this because it doesn't make any sense, right? Like she would have no reason to think that would be a possibility. Immediately says, oh, well, he was imagining it. He imagined your face outside of the window last night. And, uh... God, you must have been in a lot of pain to imagine a face like mine. Yeah, so the doctor is a real kind of a funny guy. Mm -hmm. And he keeps telling Harvey about, well, we did all these tests and we don't see anything physically wrong with your back. Like, there's nothing actually physically wrong, wrong with you, right? Um, nothing showed up on the test. So she's all like, well, I knew he must have been faking it, all this complaining and blah, blah, blah. And the doctor, he immediately comes to Harvey's defense. He says, well, he's definitely in a lot of physical pain. Like, there's no denying that. We just don't know what the problem actually is. There's no visible cause. It doesn't mean there isn't a cause. So trying to figure out what Harvey's life is more like, he asks some questions like, how hard does he work? And Harvey says, you know, he worked as a mechanic. And of course, his wife says, oh, but he's studying to be a computer programmer, which is her idea. And it kind of shows on her face where she's kind of smugly proud while Harvey doesn't look so happy about this. And the doctor noticed mm -hmm. um, every time he asks Harvey a question like that about himself, the wife adds in something 
extra. That shows that she's really pushing him when he's not really totally for that. Yeah, like one of those pageant moms, right? You know, (laughs) but instead of a young daughter, it's this fat middle-aged old man. Yes. (laughs) And every time she like answers a question like that, the doctor gives her a really kind of dirty look. Oh, I see how this is. And that's when he kind of figures out what his problem is. So the doctor, with all this new information about his wife, suggests that Harvey's back problem is caused by stress. So he prescribes muscle relaxers, and I believe he says he should take some time off of work. So he leaves, the appointment's over, and while Nadine is helping Harvey get his coat on, she's pretty worried. She's like, well, geez, well, maybe I shouldn't buy this thing that I saw that I wanted. And Harvey assures her, well, it's fine. Everything's perfectly fine. I have two weeks of sick leave coming, and then after that, I'm going to go back to work. So you can buy the thing you want. And she says, are you sure? But she says it in a way that she, she clearly desperately wants to buy this thing. And he assures her, for sure, buy it, buy it. And then she's like, oh, well, I want it in, like, a bunch of different colors. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. And I feel like, again, this points out the fact that Harvey, he does not say whenever he has any sort of a complaint. So Nadine just very obliviously does whatever the heck she feels like without consideration for his feelings at all. But he never tells her his feelings. Mm -hmm. So she really doesn't know. Um, He's a yes man. Yes, he is. (laughs) Or at least a remain silent man. (laughs) So the next scene is a big time jump. So two months have passed. And it's clear that he's not been to work. He's still in a lot of pain. And the next scene begins with he's wearing like this weird kind of a neck brace. Like not just like the pillow. But like the pillow that has like this strap around the head with bars that Mm -hmm. go to the shoulders. There's shoulder straps really hold the neck in place and he's saying oh the chiropractor was it the chiropractor the physical therapist selling this to me for 350 bucks and then of course she's really angry she's like 350 bucks we can't afford this she you know she had just come in with i think groceries so she was out shopping but i believe it was needed items yeah it looked like food yeah. It, there's like celery sticking out of there. It looked like a baguette in there. You know? Yeah. So despite the fact she likes shopping, she's not actually shown doing it at two months in. Like she's actually responsibly buying. But still, she oh, really is awful to him. Well, the doctor didn't help. The chiropractor didn't help. That the Asian guy was, man sticking needles in you didn't help. Like, and like, how is this going to help? So she's like angry at him for still hurting. And she's mad because she thinks, oh, wait, he's faking it because no one's been able to pinpoint a reason why and this is where Nadine is really unforgivable in her treatment of him she treats him so badly for being in pain because Mm. she doesn't know why he's in pain and he defends himself he's like I am in pain I am not trying to be hurting all the time and not be working I don't know why they can't find anything wrong with me she treats him so badly the very next day you know the next scene he's dressed up for work he's wearing his little uniform this is Sid's automotive and he's like oh okay honey and i'll see you when i get home today and he's moving very stiffly like his back is like ramrod straight he is clearly hurting and she is acting like oh it's about time just like treating him like he was hurting her feelings like this was all about her and he gives her a kiss goodbye he grabs his lunchbox or toolbox or whatever it's a that lunch was box. it's an old lunchbox <laughs> like this box. weird black tackle box <laughs> 
<laughs> so he walks out the door and he puts his hand on the sill and he, all of a sudden he's just like struck with pain and he like cries out and he like just grabs the door sill he's like don't help me and instead of like rushing to his side or, or showing any kind of a sympathy she gets mad at him like you know oh he just loves lazing about being treated like a king and she just starts insulting him like that and he's like it's fine I'll still be able to make it to work and she's just so angry she just like angrily starts cleaning the table in the kitchen complaining about him being useless and like you know how do you think it's affecting me Harvey and like just being pretty awful and then he gets the call from the no, actually, well, the phone rings, and she answers, and she's like, oh, hi, Dr. Roebuck. It's for you, Harvey, and just, like, shoves the phone in his face, and he grabs it, and it's clearly good news because he gets really, really happy. So once he's off the phone, he tells her that Dr. Roebuck can cure him for real. She's like, it's about time. So the next scene starts at Dr. Roebuck's office, and he's sitting at his desk with... A letter opener. <laughs> a letter just, opener. Just that fiddling looks... <laughs> with a letter opener. This ornate golden black letter opener. And he's got this look on his face. This like evil He's got smile. something in mind. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how the next scene opens, though. With mm-hmm. the doctor holding a dagger. Like, I know it's probably, for a doctor, you'd, you'd have to say it's a letter opener. But it looks like an evil dagger. <laughs> and he's got this evil smug smile. And he says, oh, the cause of your pain is your wife. So the cure is to murder her. I'm sorry, what? And he goes to calmly explain that Harvey's pain is caused by his wife. And he should therefore murder her and it's this is where the episode is really not so good our dog is barking i don't know if you can hear it (laughs) but harvey just doesn't respond in any kind of way that shows you what his emotions are about it Mm -hmm. he he responds with just such a laid back i don't even want to call it disbelief dull surprise yeah, it's, dull. it's not even surprise. It's just dull, just dullness. <laughs> like it's just it's just dull nothingness. Like he's got like this vague smile on his face. He like he kind of thinks it's a joke, but he. I mean, I can't I can't even explain to you the like lack of reaction from him. Like he he could just be talking about a kind of funny you know cloud he saw. You know, like I mean, it's a normal cloud. But it had, like, a funny little bump on it. Like, it didn't look like anything. (laughs) Like, I mean, he just doesn't give you anything during this scene. And it is, like, a huge thing when your own doctor is telling you to murder your wife as part of the cure. painfully true that description just oh yeah i thought i saw a cloud with a bump on it i thought it was pretty funny that that is so 
absolutely accurate to the level of investment he has in any given moment, especially about hearing how his doctor's prescribing him to kill his wife as, like, the cure for his back pain. And it's just, it's such an unbelievably underwhelming response. He might as well be talking about a bump on a cloud. Yeah, and, and then the doctor actually goes... Oh, we can literally arrange an accident. You you wouldn't have to do anything. And to borrow from Barb Ross, a happy accident. Yes. <laughs> and Harvey, he goes along with it. And when I say he goes along with it, it is, I mean, literally impossible to tell whether or not he's just kind of in disbelief, humoring the doctor or if he actually legitimately is going along with it. It is actually impossible to tell. It is so impossible to tell that when the ending eventually rolls around, you actually get the reveal because there is so little that he gives you during the scene that I had literally no idea what angle he was coming from with this. Like he- <laughs> Sure. Go for it. It was like... like... The doctor says, we will literally arrange for her to have an accident and die, but I need to have your consent to do this. And he's like, sure. Yeah, go ahead. But like, it's a, but I'm putting too much emphasis in this. Like, he literally says it in such a monotone, not even a monotone, like just such a... It's not even a monotone. Uninvested way. It's uninvested. Yeah, it is unreal how little he gives you in this. And that's actually really where the scene ends. The doctor actually saying, okay, it's done. And it's, he's just, no normal human being would react in this way. Like, no one. If my doctor told me, oh, you know how your back is hurting? Oh, if you just killed your wife? If I had someone else murder her, make it look like an accident, then, you know, your back would be fine. I, I would be like, are you are you actually joking? Like, are you are you literally joking? And he, well, uh, to be fair, Harvey does actually mention, is this some sort of a psychological test to make me relax? And he says it like that. Is it a psychological test to make me relax? And it's like, wait, what does that even mean? To make me relax? Like, how's that relaxing in any way, shape, or form? But again, he says it with so little anything that you don't know what he means by it yeah you know i've never really thought of a poker face performance (laughs) quite like this like it's such an interesting way where it's like he performs everything giving so very little on insight of the character Mm -hmm. that it comes across like a poker face it's so bizarre it really is yeah like there's two opposing emotions you could be feeling you know ha yeah right kind of disbelief playing along or yeah please do kill her if if this cures my back please god do it but you get nothing neither one of those things and i think at least one of them should have been leaned towards and he does not do it so this this whole thing like leaves this conundrum for the rest of the episode about what is harvey thinking and it kind of gets worse because the next scene he's laying on his back at his home um, he's still clearly in pain. What you is know, he wearing? Like a muumu. <laughs> <laughs> he, it looks like it. It's like a onesie. Yeah, like... It's, it's like literally a muumu. <laughs> it is like a like a froofy whitish gown with like odd <laughs> nonsensical patterns on it. And he's like on the phone with somebody named Charlie. I don't know who this is. Because we've never heard of him before. It's Spoiler only... alert, you won't ever find out who he is. <laughs> it's just to give you the exposition that Nadine went shopping. Because he tells, oh, yeah, Charlie, uh, Nadine went shopping. And he hangs up. So we, the audience, though, Nadine went shopping. And then he gets another call from someone. He says, oh, hello, yeah, I'm Mr. Turnman or whatever his name is. Turman? Turman? Yeah, it's kind of an odd name. But yeah. uh, Mr. Turman. You know, this is Mr. Turman. What? Nadine had an accident. And he says this again. What? 
In Nadine? such a way. I... An accident? Why, yes, I'll be over there soon. I'll hang up, you know, and just... Nadine? An accident? He, like, repeats himself like that, for real. <laughs> and, and again, I cannot tell if he is surprised, if he's saying it to himself because he, he was shocked that the doctor came through for him. I do not know. There is so little emotion. I straight up cannot tell how he's feeling. Now, the only thing that you can tell how he's feeling is when he stands up, he realizes his back doesn't hurt. Yeah, he, he stands up straight and he, like, turns his head a bit and he rolls his shoulders. Like, My back doesn't hurt anymore. My back doesn't hurt anymore. And that's pretty much that's how that end, scene ends. And that's the end yeah. of the scene. And again, you can't even tell if he put two and two together because you don't actually know if he, like, 100% was in support of what the doctor said or didn't. Thought he was joking. Either way, it's impossible to tell. And then it goes to the next scene. This whole last part of the episode kind of jumps from scene to scene. And there's, like, about six weeks that have passed by. And it shows him coming home from work because he's feeling better now, so he's working. And the house is a mess. Like, it's an absolute pigsty because Nadine is not there and she's not cleaning goes home to that filth house he like shoves his face full of caramels which <laughs> is to show that you know since he's not, Nadine's not there he's no longer on a diet but it does this bizarre thing like, that he, he shoves like he'll shove three of those yeah, things in his like, mouth and they're not small chocolates either yeah he's <laughs> they're, they're like huge those you know gross toothpaste filled <laughs> chocolates that you get for like valentine's day um he just shoves them all down his throat like he's like chubby bunny you know and and the and the door rings and this is a weird thing that i have no idea why he chose to do this or why even the director chose to have him do this the doorbell rings he opens it and there's this little old lady who answers the door she says hi i'm mrs tracy i feel really guilty about this i've been wanting to tell you for these six weeks and I couldn't, I couldn't bear it, but now, you know, I just really can't hold it anymore. When your wife was crossing the street and I hit her with my car, I'm like really sorry. I just want you to know that I didn't have a choice but to do it. <laughs> yeah, and for some insane reason, they thought, wouldn't it be funny if his mouth was just full of chocolates and he couldn't respond to this? But it isn't funny. Like, it's weird. And again, he's already such a hard character to figure out what he's thinking that having him unable to even respond to this old lady's confession of murdering his wife, it's inexplicable and it lends nothing except further confusion. So, I mean, to be fair, though, he delivers the same lines with the same level of gusto as he did previously with a mouth full of chocolate. Yeah, so you basically get as much with no words as you do with actual words. <laughs> so the little old lady, you know, after confessing murder, leaves. Next scene, he's on the phone with the doctor who's saying, oh, you, you need to come back into the office. I need to check your back. And he's like, well, I've actually been totally fine. Like, I haven't been working. My back don't hurt anymore. He's like, uh, backs are tricky things. You know, you can be fine one minute and the next two. So come on back. Yeah, so he, he convinces him to go back to talk to him about his back. And so, again, scene jumps to the doctor's office and he is talking about, you're like, oh, yeah, my back's better. And... Ah, yes. Because uh, of your wife dying in that happy accident. Oh, yeah. yeah, The doctor literally... You know, he he doesn't even come clean. Like, he literally told Harvey to his face, I will make sure your wife dies and you'll feel better. So... When he gets in there and he says, it's all thanks to me murdering your wife. That made your back feel better. And Harvey is just like, oh, yeah, that's really funny. But she died in an accident. And it's like, <laughs> Were you not <laughs> listening? <laughs> and then 
the doctor says, oh, no, it, it did look like an accident, didn't it? I was really happy. Miss Tracy did a really good job making it look like it wasn't, in fact, cold-blooded murder. And, and literally, Harry says, Mrs. Tracy wouldn't hurt a fly. I met her. It's like, were those caramels shoved in your ears instead of your mouth? She told you she killed her. She literally said, I did it on purpose because I was forced to. And the doctor actually gets angry and he says, you're ungrateful. You know, Mrs. Tracy wasn't ungrateful. I got rid of whatever was ailing her because Miss Tracy had some sort of like physical ailment too. And I got rid of it. If someone murdered her, whoever the heck. Bad person. Yeah. Whatever, toxic person in yeah, their Yeah. He basically reveals that there's this pattern that the doctor's patients come to him with whatever ailment it may be. And he cures them by having another patient of his murder the person he claims to be responsible for that pain. And as sort of payment, whoever got cured has to be the one to commit the next murder. And Mrs. Tracy had her payment um, fulfilled fulfilled by murdering Harvey's wife, Nadine. Mm. So he- This time around, <laughs> Harvey has to murder some girl's father. Yeah, he mentions that this girl has horrific migraines and it's because of her father he's like basically emotionally abusive. And this is finally when Harvey actually shows emotion. And again, at this point, his disbelief, this is the kind of big reveal for Harvey's character. Oh, wow. He didn't believe the doctor this whole time. He didn't know this whole time yeah. what he agreed to. <laughs> yeah, this this the entire interactions between Harvey and the doctor is a complete mystery to me because you you can't tell from his acting or any of his line delivery or literally anything how he feels about anything. It's this ending that reveals that oh yeah, he didn't believe him this whole time, which is really obnoxious. I mean, as like a viewer, I mean, this is this is not cool. But either way, he actually gets mad at the doctor for this, for telling him he needs to murder someone else. This is like, okay, I draw the line at this. She's saying you're going to kill my wife, and then actually, like, it happening. That's not a line, but me having to kill someone else, I actually believe you now. He actually says, you know, I'm going to turn, I'm going to, I'm going to report, report you. you. I'm going to report you. I don't know who. I don't know to who, but I am going to report you. are going to get locked up. <laughs> he, he walks over to the door, and you see the doctor tap his nose. Mm -hmm. There and it is. that... <laughs> Is when Harvey just sticks straight up like a worm being electrocuted in the dirt. Just sticks straight up and he's just like, ah, my back. And, and then the doctor says, well, maybe to shake it up, would you like to try a migraine? And of course, that's when Harvey realizes the doctor caused the pain as opposed to curing it. So he isn't just some sort of a weird, you know, evil powered murdering doctor trying to help people <laughs> in a murderous way. He is actually causing this pain, right? So Nadine never was the cause of the pain. I mean, she may, have, I mean, it was probably cause of horrific amount of stress. She is the cause of a certain amount of I pain, mean, but not, not, but not back to that pain. extent because yeah. really the relationship only got particularly awful when, he hurt, he, he hurt his back, right? I mean, sure, she showed that she's, you know, clearly like a... Um, leech? Well, not she wasn't really a leech, right? She did her share. She did yeah. housework, right? So in that An emotional tiny, leech. Yeah. Well, pretty much, right? But he never told her anything was wrong. So as far as she knew, she wasn't being bad up until he was sick. And then it's like, okay, she's like, oh, the world's thinking of Fairweather Wife, right? <laughs> she, she's there when things are going good. And as far as we could tell, things were more or less good. He didn't ever tell her anything was bad. But when things actually got bad, she became a monster. Actually caused real amounts of actual emotional damage. But at least it didn't cause this back pain, <laughs> you know? So 
Harvey asks, you know, who are you? Who are you? And the doctor responds just by laughing maniacally. And thunder and lightning goes off. Thunder and lightning starts up again. <laughs> and that's where the episode ends. So, Zaki, what do you think about Painkiller? Honestly, to tell you the truth, I was very indifferent to this episode until we started recording this and really started digging into the ineptitude of the main actor. And on the rewatch, it was just insane to see this episode and just be like, man, I really can't see into his head. I can't figure out what he's thinking. It was, it was an enigma wrapped in a mystery. Yeah. Uh, it was like a personalityless blob, <laughs> you know. It's just this amorphous non-thing, <laughs> and it, it's amazing because he's surrounded by two incredibly talented actors, <laughs> and you can read them like an open book. <laughs> but our main character, who arguably should have the best actor of anyone in any show, because. If you're writing an episode, you want your main character to be understood, at the very least. Mm -hmm. And it's just insane to see the level of talent surrounding him and how none of it rubs off on him. Yeah, like both <laughs> Peggy Cass, who played Nadine, and uh, Farley Granger, who played the Doctor, both of them are award-winning actors. Like, she mm -hmm. won, like, an Oscar, and he got a, um, I'm not really sure what kind of a award it was. He was nominated for an Emmy and got some other, like... Yeah, I think the best way to highlight their careers is both of them were on Alfred Hitchcock Presents and mm. Alfred Hitchcock Hour. And if you work with Alfred Hitchcock, that's pretty much a sign of quality right there. You know, there's no worthless actors on the Alfred Hitchcock Hour or Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Even the worst episodes of that show have good actors given bad material. Oh, God. But, they have some bad material. <laughs> but that's rare. Okay. Yeah, it is and rare. if it is if it is even existent in Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Alfred Hitchcock lets you know. Mm. But uh, with... Uh, with this show, these two very good actors are just surrounding this very low-talented actor. Well, I mean, it may be, he's played in other things I'm not saying before. he's a bad actor. I'm saying is that he's not that great of an actor. Not for what material he's given. Well, I feel like, I mean, even with what he got, he could have put some emotion into it, anything to give us... Well, yeah. <laughs> like, any of those lines could be said in any way to give you something. Mm -hmm. And he gave us literally nothing. I mean, maybe that was the point, to give you so very little. It left the viewers completely confused as to whether or not he wanted his wife dead or thought it, the whole thing was, like, a joke. I, I, it's a very bizarre choice if that was purposeful. I mean, I mean, if he was purposefully trying to make it impossible to tell, then he did a brilliant job because it was impossible to tell what he was thinking at any time. Yeah, he was like a, a personality devoid version of Mr. Mushnick from Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> like, I felt like if he had the, the acting chops, the talent, I think he could have actually made a fairly decent Mr. Mushnick. But because he's not putting much effort into his performance here, it's kind of difficult to say that for sure, you know? Mm. Like... I love all of the actors in the episode. They all do a fantastic job of playing the characters. Like Nadine, you want to just slap her at times. Yeah. But, you know, it takes a good actress to make you, a watcher who is unassociated with these events, 
want to do something like that. And the Doctor is very interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. He's very interesting to rewatch because he's got, some good lines he's, got too. he's got great lines. He's got a lot of like fun little facial expressions and whatnot that really make you like enjoy his performance. Mm-hmm. Every time he's on screen, it's really brilliant. Like he brings he's he actually is bringing this fun kind of like sinister energy to it. Mm-hmm. You know, he really does liven up the scenes that he's in. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say Nadine livens up the scenes. I mean, she does bring out emotion in you, even if it's like oh, anger. Oh, she livens like, it up. Yeah, like it's for just, sure. And you know, <laughs> and, and too because her she actually has like a personality. Like she may be really awful, but like if you kind of dig more into her character, you find kind of you know. I mean, for a short story, I guess you know, a multifaceted character. She clearly does love her husband, but like she is completely unable to be supportive of him. She's mm-hmm. clearly throughout their marriage only ever been supported by him because he doesn't say anything when. If it's affecting him in a negative way, he doesn't tell her. So as far as she's concerned, nothing affects him and only things affect her because that's how he behaves, right? It's all about what she wants and he just utterly allows it. There's no communication. But she does show little things that she loves him here and there. And they have like little moments of sweetness. But like, you know, as the episode progresses, see how exceedingly selfish she is. She mm-hmm. doesn't even know how to be supportive of him when he needs her help because she he's never shown him before. She thinks he's faking it. I mean, to me, actually, that seems a little bit backwards to me. I mean, I feel like if you never complain about anything and all of a sudden you're complaining, that kind of feels like but extra she, bad. But she took it seriously at first. Yeah. She did take it seriously and well, she was actually pretty considerate of him for less than two months. But it was there. Yeah, I mean, as their financial issues really got worse and worse, that's when she began getting angrier because they went to all these people that couldn't help. So she's beginning, well, if none of these people know what's wrong with you, then there must be nothing wrong with you. Mm. But I still feel like she thought he was complaining too much at the beginning as well. She did believe he was hurting, but thought he was over-exaggerating, which is what led into the actually thinking he's faking it and being angry at him, which, again, I honestly find inexcusable. Like, if someone is saying that they're hurting, particularly a loved one, like, for crying out loud, why would you not think that they're telling the truth. Now, another facet of this episode that is really interesting to me, and a lot of people have interpretations of, which I do not agree with, <laughs> is what Dr. Uh, Robotnik? No. <laughs> oh, man. No. <laughs> Dr. Uh, Robotnik. Right, right. Uh, so what exactly is Dr. Roblox? <laughs> well, some people think that Dr. Roadblock is the devil and i mean maybe but there's nothing to suggest that there's literally nothing in this episode to suggest anything about what he is the only thing you know about him is that he's a doctor presumably i mean he does have an office and there's like a degree hanging on the wall so perhaps it's the true degree and he is a doctor but he also is able to, with just a look or like a tap on his nose, like yeah, that? like Santa I... Claus is just a tap on the nose, and then magic happens. Yes, like he can he can make someone feel horrendous amounts of pain, and that's the only real magic power he has, except maybe teleportation. Except he could have just straight up been hiding outside of his window and then dodged away. Like it's not impossible for like a man of his age to do. Like he's not that yeah. old. Like yeah, and not to mention like, what, rain provides great cover. Technically, I mean. Although he didn't look wet. 
Well, that's true. So maybe he but it's also in. one of those scenes where they're not very well making it rain outside. You oh, know, they I got guess that's true. the five little drips of water pouring streams of water down the window, and maybe like somebody with their thumb on a garden hose just spraying somewhere in the backyard, and that's your rain. And uh, they did get the lighting down, but mm-hmm. uh, the, for the water, it doesn't look like there's that much. But uh, you I'm know, I'm gonna pretend magic kept him dry. <laughs> And uh, so what's really interesting in this episode, and we brought up old school fairies before, but I feel like this also applies to that kind of thing where there's this weird kind of fairy tale like motion where magic happens with this weird kind of thing, like a two flicks of a lamb's tail or, you know, like that kind of weird old adage, Uh, just a tap on the nose causes crippling back pain. (laughs) (laughs) But it has that kind of air to it that he has this kind of weird power that he can activate by doing some weird notion. Well, maybe. I mean, it could be. I mean, literally anything is possible with this guy. Yeah, um, like a genie crosses <laughs> her arms and flicks her head. Or like how... Uh, is that the... a dream of genie? She like shakes her nose or something? No, no, no. That's that... Bewitched. Bewitched. Oh, yeah. okay. Not... Her and Bewitched is fli- like twiddles her nose or whatever. And uh, she's able to do that. And then magic happens. And for him, he just taps his nose. Because he can't do the thing that uh, the bewitched lady can. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I guess that's a little less sinister if you're, like, supposed to be the devil, right? If you just twiddle your nose. Like a little cute, little cute (laughs) nose twitching. Not that tapping your nose is sinister, but, uh... Yeah, while he's standing outside the window, it kind of looks like he's picking his nose at a weird (laughs) angle. And, yeah, that's not very sinister. Yeah. I guess, I mean, at first, I didn't even know what he was doing. I'm like, is he picking his nose? It's not, I mean, it's kind of scary, I guess. So, I don't believe he's the devil on the grounds that there simply isn't enough evidence within the episode to say whether or not that's the case. Mm-hmm. It's very, very... It's just too open-ended. Yeah, it's open-ended. There was another word I was going to say. Uh, it's, uh Yeah, too way too vague. It's too vague to be able to tell if he's supposed to be the devil. Hmm. Because all what you see happen is he taps his nose, causes pain to happen, wants people to murder, and he laughs and and control thunderstorms, I guess. Hmm. But when you look at it, a lot of things can do that. I mean, technically, (laughs) fairies can do any of that and then some. You know, when you look at it like that. It could be the devil, but... It could be Thor. It could be... But, it again, just not enough proof of any in particular thing to guide you into that thought. Which is funny, because you have, the I think, the last episode, I'll give you a million. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think they ever once called the devil at the end the devil, but he's clearly the devil. Like, he yes. takes their souls because they need to be punished. He has this whole air about him. He's They go out of the way to show you he's a devil without saying it. Yeah. And, of course... It is confirmed. He is credited as the devil in the actual credits. But mm-hmm. you don't even have to read that to know he's the devil. In this episode, I mean, th- this is just a guy with really evil powers and a really just mean... Outlook on outlook life. Outlook on life. He just, yeah. likes, he just likes to make people murder each other, you know? I mean, that's, that's all he wants to do. He's a doctor that takes advantage of people who are extremely vulnerable and makes them commit murder. And that's all you know about him. And it's really interesting when you think about the idea that they can get away with having some average Joe be the devil 
if they just let you know. Mm. Like, there's a Twilight Zone episode where this guy doesn't want to die, and then the devil shows up. He's a totally normal dude, no makeup effects, nothing. But they tell you he's the devil through a handful of different ways. One of them literally telling you he's the devil. But besides that, the point is, is that you can tell your audience this is someone without saying it explicitly, you know? And I feel that that is something this episode could have done, but they chose not to do. If that was their intended, like, aim, they didn't hit it. Yeah, I think that they probably purposefully didn't say he's the devil. I don't think he's... I don't actually think he is the devil. And I think if it was... A lot of times when the devil comes into play, there's usually a reason. Like, someone's going to get punished or tempted into something. I guess they are kind of tempted, but, I mean, he does make a deal with Harvey. He actually says, you know, I'll make your back better if you give me your consent to allow your wife to be murdered. To arrange a murder for your wife. Yeah, but it is it is basically a deal. But... I mean, it's, I don't know, it doesn't quite feel like that deal with the devil just because nothing of that scene had any kind of a of a feeling to it that felt, it's because Harvey had no real reaction. It, it, you don't know how to take it because, I mean, you know how to take the doctor yourself, but even through Harvey, it just doesn't have that weight to it, you know, mm-hmm. that this is really ominous. It just feels weird. Yeah, and that goes to show you the value of having a good actor as your main character. Because if you have a situation like this, your main actor is going to tell you how this is supposed to be, right? A good actor would be able to show you that's the devil, but that's not the case in this particular episode. And the whole episode is dragged down because of that, unfortunately. I feel like if they had a better actor, this might have been a above average episode, but because it's held down by the main character, it's below average, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like there was kind of almost a good topic that it touched upon and then just really didn't. And that's the fact that sometimes when you have like a disorder like that, particularly one that no one can find a co- like an actual cause to, people can like just not believe you. Like, oh, you're in chronic pain? Like, sure you are. You know, that is an issue. You know, and sometimes it's even an issue with the doctors not believing. Mm-hmm. You know, if they can't find anything, it's like, well, then there really isn't anything wrong with you and you are just complaining. But that... I mean, that kind of thought is horrifically rampant. You know, a lot of people think that just because you don't, you know, you don't know why something is happening and you can't figure out the actual root cause doesn't mean it is, you're not in pain. And that's one thing that, I mean, I liked about the doctor at the beginning was when he actually completely sides with Harvey. The wife was like, oh, I knew he was overreacting. He was like, oh, no, no, no. You know, he's definitely in pain. Like, he, he does not deny his pain. And that makes for a good doctor. I mean, you know, for a real doctor, right? And saying just because we don't know the cause, it doesn't mean he's not actually in pain. And then looking to stress, like, you know, what, what are the psychological factors? Like, looking for another reason. As a, as a wannabe doctor, like, that's something I think is a good outlook. You know, you need to believe in your patients. Fight for them, right? But, mm. like, it touched on it, right? It had, mm. it had, uh that kind of barely there except for the turn for oh that's murder your wife you know it's like okay that's not what you want your doctor to say i'm pretty sure there's a violation of a hippocratic oath in there somewhere (laughs) yes i mean he's the one causing pain to begin with so it's at the very beginning where he you know betrays the hippocratic oath oh speaking of very beginning here's another like little nugget for thought on this episode how does he pick his victims because he caused harvey's back pain to begin with 
and then they went to the doctor to get it fixed. Mm. So how does the doctor find people to start harming? Because it seemed like he learned about his wife when she took him in to take the physical. Now, this is where I actually feel why I, I think that he is not the devil. And it's because it's random. He randomly appears at Harvey's house. And then just, just, you know, chooses him to be his next victim. And I feel like usually any episodes or anything, really, if you think about it, with demon characters or the devil, there's always some kind of a reason. This is completely random. Harvey didn't do anything to deserve what happened to him, and neither did Nadine. You know, she may be horrible, but at that point, she'd done literally nothing to deserve death. I mean, even being like a cow as she was, she still doesn't deserve death for it. So it feels random to me. And I think that's part of the, part of the horror of the episode is that this could happen to anyone. And maybe even adding the fear of you can't trust someone who you're supposed to trust, like the doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Except, I mean, that quote-unquote fear is not really there at all because I think anyone who encounters a doctor telling them to murder automatically knows that the doctor is not trustworthy. I don't even think that's like a, a question of, oh, you might not be able to trust your doctor. No, no, you don't trust that doctor. They're crazy. You know, that's yeah, like, when, that's... He, when you go to your doctor's office and he's twiddling around a knife and he's just like, oh, I think I know a way to help fix your back problems. I think you turn around and leave the office. Mm-hmm. I think that would be anybody's first thought in that. Yeah, that's when, that's when Harvey should have said i'm reporting you, you i'm know? i'm going to be scared of a, a doctor i'm supposed to trust because i can't trust the doctor to begin with mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah i i think he's supposed to be unknown just because of you know he chooses randomly right mm-hmm. there's that whole unknown can this happen to you that that goes into that like it's like okay if you are duncan and jack doing horrific things well you can probably expect like Your some sort of comeuppance yeah and you know, whether that's a, like the devil literally coming for you or just whatever you you think might happen to you for that, you know, this life or the next, whatever. There's a rhyme and a reason to that, right? Mm-hmm. And you might not really think that applies to you, though, right? Because it's yeah. like, I'm not, I'm not going to go around, like, being as horrible as they are. I'm not going to torture my friends on their deathbeds, basically. But, like, with Harvey, it's like, well, geez, that could be me just sitting studying for an exam and then all of a sudden I go pick up a teaspoon and then like you know all this stuff happens very softly onto the floor (laughs) and then your nagging wife comes in (laughs) ah you stupid animal (laughs) and then and then you know you go to your physician and then it turns out to be the devil Mm -hmm. like (laughs) and unfortunately could happen to anyone this quote unquote scariness is all very hypothetical because this episode was not scary it was not interesting And it was unfortunately one of the most forgettable episodes and just not good. Which is a shame because it had the potential to be absolutely amazing. It had the potential to be absolutely mediocre. No, I think it had the potential to be absolutely amazing. If you got like the guy who played the devil in like the devil's printer... Or oh god, that, the devil's advocate. The devil's no. Printer. Oh no, you're right. The print, the printer's devil. That's the printer's devil. Yeah. Oh, that's that a guy. god. That episode is coming up. It is so good. Did that not soon, sadly. Yeah, uh, that's, that's like, like in second or third season, somewhere in there. We don't have our, that to look forward to. One of our favorite villains. Mm-hmm. Like if you got him. If you got him to play the doctor, that alone would have bumped it up by like two whole stars. Getting Duncan to play the doctor would have bumped <laughs> it up. I mean, I take that back. You know, oh, you get Trevor Rockmonic to play the main guy, and that's it. Oh you got god. the star cast. Oh my god. Yes. 
But like, um, Trevor Rockmonic from Alf, by the way. Just sorry, <laughs> just in case you guys didn't watch the show. Although I don't abash the dude who did Roebuck. He actually was, like I said, the life of this episode. He really was. So yeah, it, it was. It's just really the main character that really made it. Just really dragged it down because he's the main character, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so, considering that you very much enjoy your rating system. Where would you place this episode on your five-star list? Gosh, you know, I... It's kind of difficult because this rewatch has made us like it a lot less, huh? Yes, it is. <laughs> the rewatches you will usually change my opinion on things. I, I will literally write my first impression rating, and I'll have a space for my second impression, because when you think about something, it either gets a lot better, like a new man, or it gets a lot worse, like this episode. <laughs> so, I think I would honestly want to give this, like, two and a half stars. Uh, it would have just been mediocre. Like, the first watch, like, the three stars is just your flat, most basic, forgettable, but not bad episode this one really the second watch shows you just how bad underacting can be like Mm -hmm. overacting i mean honestly can be enjoyable most of the time because then it's like even if it's bad it's kind of fun but underacting it 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 actually just takes away from what you there's there's bland acting but like i don't know like this is just the blandest of the bland it just gives you so little you could he they could have just held up the script for us to read and given us just as much information mm-hmm. as the actor delivering it and that's even funny to mention because i've been to script readings before where they had the script for the first time and i've heard more lively performances off of those script readings that i did from this final edited episode of a TV show that made it to television. And it's a shame, but not just for, like, the bland acting, you know, because, like, a whole thing of bland acting can be funny sometimes because of, like, oh, what they're talking about and how nobody responds to it correctly. But this is bland acting paired with good acting. And it makes the bland acting stand out more, and it makes the good acting stand out even more. Mm -hmm. But both are harmed by the existence of the bland acting. Because it's like, oh, it takes bland, a bland actor to realize how good a good performance is. And it takes, like, a good performance to realize how bad a bland performance is. But it's weird because I've watched movies with just plain bad actors. And they still, even in a very clumsy way, let you know what their characters are supposed to be thinking. And, and like I said, it makes me wonder, is, this, is, he, is he doing it on purpose? Was this purposeful? And, it, you know, because I, I don't really want to bash the actor. He seems like he's sweet and nice. Hmm. You know, and I've never seen him in anything else, so I can't he seems, tell if he's He seems like a bad. very nice uncle. Yes, like, like he's just a sweet... Like a producer's uncle who's just like, hey, you know, my uncle, needs, uh, he wants to be on a TV show. <laughs> Which is not the case. This dude has been in, like, a billion things. Like, looking on his IMDB page, he's just got tons and tons of credits to his name. But, like, I've not seen a single one of those other things. So I, I can't judge his performance outside of this. So... Yeah, it could be bad direction. I kind of doubt it. But it could be bad direction. I feel like it's probably just a person who's hired to do the same kind of performance over and over again and they don't really mix it up in the performance in of itself like i love the actor but kevin michael richardson usually plays the same character over and over again but he's an actor with a lot of gusto so whenever he performs a character it's enjoyable but you always know it's kevin michael richardson you know like he plays uh bulkhead in transformers prime he plays uh 
what was his name? Grubs in uh, Gravity Falls. Wait, what, what was oh, his name? Sheriff Blobs. Sheriff Blobs, that was it. And uh, yeah, Kevin Michael he Richardson. Plays, he plays the whale guy in in. Oh uh, yeah, Gantu. Gantu. He plays Gantu and Lilu and, and Gantu Stitch. and and wait, all three of those characters are hundred million percent different. Yes. Those are the most different characters you could possibly. Think but of. does he do anything different with his voice? Well, not no. really. But he doesn't need. <laughs> but to. my thing is, is that he is an actor with a lot of gusto, and that helps him perform. And make those characters feel different, even though he's really giving the same vocal performance. Mm. Like, kind of similar with Tom Kenny. He's always wasted, like, characters that are somewhat like SpongeBob or somewhat no. like Ice King. But... No, people later hired him to voice characters that sounded like that. But initially, that he dude, had a lot of different voices. Yeah, that dude he has, was... a, he's a chameleon with his voice. Like, he played... Mm-hmm. You know, he is, like, the mayor in the original Powerful And the narrator. And the narrator. I, I would never have known that. He's also, um, you know, the narrator on SpongeBob. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy with the... Like, and Gary's voice actor. And Gary's voice actor. He's SpongeBob. Like, and that dude can change He can his do voice, a lot like, with his voice. But he's generally hired anymore to do voices very similar to SpongeBob or Ice King. And it's not a problem with the actor. It's a problem with what they're hiring him for. So I'm thinking that's probably what's happening with this actor. I keep forgetting his name, the actual actor's name of this episode. He's just hired to play kind of... Jacoby. Yeah, Lou Jacoby. He's probably hired to play Dopey kind of like halfway out of it. Uh, (laughs) Characters... (laughs) But that's how he performs, though. He acts like he's on Valium to some degree. <laughs> well, geez, I feel like I'm on Valium watching this episode. <laughs> I mean, the episode is called Painkiller. <laughs> and, you know, it delivers on its promises. Oh, God. Can't remember anything anymore. <laughs> oh, man. But do you remember what's next on our episode agenda? Um, I do not, but I have it written down. The next episode is called The Odds. Oh, man. This one is an interesting one. It's It's got a lot of promise, and it's got a lot of, a, like, a good premise. And very good performances from all the actors, which is uh, very nice as a, as a break from this. <laughs> yes. So that just about wraps it up for this episode. Saki. Mm-hmm. Where can you find us? on the internet if you wanted to get in contact with us well if you want to talk to us directly we have an email at thishousepodcast at gmail.com and if you want to stalk us on a social media platform we have an instagram this house podcast on instagram you can find us there and you can also find us on itunes where we would love for you to go and rate and review our show so that way we can get a little more traffic coming in here because it is uh, kind of barren around here. If you haven't already found us on iTunes. Yes, and we're also on podcast.com. And, uh... Get out of our house! <laughs>